Welcome to Rob's Reliability Project, a podcast for maintenance and reliability people to better themselves both at home and at work. Now let's get rolling. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Rob's Reliability Project. I'm Rob Kalvaroski. Today's podcast, I am launching the Leadership Launchpad Project. And if you listen to the end of this episode, you get to learn how to get $500 off if you sign up for the Leadership Launchpad Project before September 1st. I'm in this game to change the maintenance and reliability world forever, and I need your help. So check out today's podcast, and I look forward to helping you realize your highest potential. I wanted to jump on today to talk about why leadership why me, and why now? And if you've been following my content for the last two years, you've seen a big shift in me recently. Since December, I've been posting a lot about mental health. I've been talking more about myself. And I've really been stepping out as a leader in reliability, a leader in maintenance, and a leader in mental health, and a leader in my community. And the reason I've started to do that is because I've been on a personal journey. And what I've realized throughout this personal journey is that leadership, both personal leadership and leadership at companies, have always been a problem for me. And they're a problem not only for me, but they're a problem in industry. And it's what's holding us back from living the lives we truly want and working the careers that we deserve. And leadership to me is about having coaching teaching, influencing, leading the people around us so they can reach their highest potential. Until about January of 2020, I bought into the old school leadership model. I thought that leadership was about what power you have in an organization and how you get those people who you have power over to do what you want. That's not leadership. That's management. That's old school. It's 2020. That doesn't fly anymore. And personal leadership is another thing that we've talked about before on this show. But personal leadership is you making decisions for yourself in order for you to reach your full your full and highest potential. So that's leadership. Now let's talk about why me. And for for those of you who are new to the show, why me? I have to kind of start back at the beginning. June 4th, 1988, I was born in Ottawa, Ontario, Canada. I was an active kid. I seemed to always be playing sports, 
running around, tons of energy. And I tried a bunch of things when I was a kid, different sports, different instruments, that type of stuff, but nothing really stuck with me until I was nine years old. And I went to a free trial of water polo at the nearby pool. I was hooked. Immediately, I knew this was a sport for me. I started training. I was all in. And two to three years later, my team, we were provincial champions. Five years later, we won the national title. We won the U16 national championship. And one of the first moments in my life where I realized how much of a leader I was happened in that national championship game. I was the captain of the team. I had been the captain of my team since I was around 12 years old. But that didn't mean much. It meant you signed the game sheet. It meant that I worked hard in practice and I led by example. But this was truly my first leadership moment. In the national title game, we jumped out to an early lead and the game started to get out of hand. The opposing goalie punched our starting center in the face and was ejected. Immediately after that happened, in a little bit of that chaotic moment, I pulled my guys to the middle of the pool and I told them that we wouldn't retaliate. I refocused them back on the game. And I told them we'd retaliate on the scoreboard. We'd retaliate by walking away with a trophy. And we did. I remember during my polo career, I've had many conversations in the sauna, in the change room with my guys about how they're feeling, about what they're thinking about polo, about other guys, and about, and some of them I've had to talk back from quitting. I never, until recently, I never understood why I did that. It just was who I am. I never considered that leadership. I considered that being a good friend, being somebody who was supportive. But it was noticed. After winning the national title, I played on the U16 national team and I played on the U18 national team. It was part of what you did. It was part of the achievement. And then when I was in high school, I had to make a decision. For when I started playing polo, I wanted to go to the Olympics. I wanted to play on the senior men's national team. And when I was in high school, I had to make a choice. Did I want to go to the Olympics? Did I want to try to pursue that avenue? Or did I want to go to college? And I picked college. The reason I picked college was when I was in high school, the most recent time the senior men's national team had gone to the Olympics was in the 80s. 
it didn't seem achievable. What was achievable was playing in the NCAA. That's where I set my sights to. And not long after, I was accepted into MIT. August 2006, I was dropped on campus, and immediately we were training seven hours a day. MIT is not known for their athletics, but they are world-renowned for their academics. And immediately I was a starter on the polo team. I thought everything was going well until my first round of midterms. And then I found out I was a C student. Being a C student for the first time in your life was a kick in the face. It was also my first time living outside of my house, living outside of the guise of my parents. And I didn't have the personal leadership skills to make decisions. I wasn't eating well and I lost 20 pounds my first semester. I wasn't maintaining my stress levels and I wasn't studying in the way I needed to at a world-class institution. And I remember after getting C's, it caused a lot of doubt in me. I kept thinking about that I would flunk out and that I'd have to return to Ottawa with my tail in between my legs. I'd have to return back and the people who told me I didn't deserve to get into MIT, they'd be right. And I couldn't let that happen. I doubled down and I learned the skills I needed to achieve. I learned how to work. I learned how to plan in advance. I learned how to study. And fall of junior year, I reached the pinnacle of my academic career. I finished the semester during polo season with straight A's. June 4th, 2010, I graduated MIT on my 22nd birthday. I graduated with a bachelor's degree in mechanical engineering and a minor in management. I was a three-time academic All-American. I was a member of the traders at MIT Financial Club, and I was a member of the Delta Upsilon fraternity. And I stepped out into the working world with the confidence that a lifetime of achievement gives you. Over the four years at MIT, the professors reinforced this message. They kept saying in every class that we were the future business leaders of tomorrow. And they said to me that the working world was easier than MIT. As I sit here and talk to you today, I know that they were both right and wrong. After I graduated, I was unemployed for six months, and then I got a job as an economist. 
as an economist, I was doing large infrastructure projects focused on cost-benefit analysis, how to get the money to spend on these large infrastructure projects. I learned a lot. But this whole time, my dad was saying to me that I needed a job in engineering. Otherwise, my degree from MIT was wasted. So I kept looking for an engineering job. I kept looking until one night, I took a friend of mine to a hockey game. She introduced me to some of her friends who were at the game, one of whom worked at a coal mining company in BC. Five months later, I was a reliability engineer at that coal mine. Like you, I was dropped into a reliability engineering role without prerequisite knowledge. I didn't even know what reliability engineering was. At MIT, we had a ton of engineering majors, but at the time, reliability wasn't one of them. My first week on the job, I took a training course from Arms Reliability, and I was on my way to becoming a reliability engineer. When I said that my professors told me that the working world would both was easier than MIT, and I said that they were both right and both wrong, that's where I learned it. They were right because, as I joke now on this podcast before, if I walk into a facility a plant, a mine, a manufacturing facility, and I don't fall down over a million dollars in savings, I'm shocked. That's what my experience was like at tech. In my first year, I saved them $30 million. I posted the biggest return, the biggest savings, the biggest number, of any engineer in the company. Now, when I say that they were wrong, that the working world is harder than MIT is what happened. After a year working at tech and after posting $30 million in savings, I walked into my annual review with the confidence that a lifetime achievement and the confidence that posting huge savings gives you. I thought I was on the fast track to success. I thought I was on the fast track to happiness. I thought we'd be talking promotion. We'd be talking big raises. We'd be talking success. And I walked out of that meeting and I was crushed. They gave me 3%, the minimum, and the question started. How could you possibly have saved this much money? How could we get this much better? The management culture was fear. The management culture was fixed. They never believed that they could get that much better. They never believed that they were doing anything wrong. 
they never believed, they never wanted to step out and say, hey, we learned something new. This isn't how we should be doing it. We should change the way we're doing things. And it caused a lot of frustration in me. And it led to me becoming disengaged at work. As I talked about before on this show, disengagement, your life, compartmentalization is not a thing. I became disengaged at work and it followed me home. I became depressed. I became suicidal. I started questioning What's the meaning of life? Why am I here? What's my purpose? I started beating myself up. How can I not get these people, these leaders, these managers to understand what I'm doing? What's wrong with me that I can't communicate this well enough? What's wrong with me that the data and the information that we have points us in this direction and yet no one sees it? I'd been trained my entire life to look at data and to make decisions. I'd been trained my entire life that getting better is what we're here to do. Getting better and being excellent is why we're on this planet. But I was in a culture, I was in a leadership style that said the opposite was true. I spent about nine months depressed before I asked for help. And as I've talked about on this show before, asking for help takes strength. Asking for help takes courage. Asking for help takes vulnerability. It took me nine months to find the courage and the strength and the vulnerability inside me to ask for help. And that help didn't take me where I wanted to go. The help was a disappointment. I asked for help and they put me on medication. I didn't respond well to medication. I had adverse side effects. And things were falling apart. I tried group therapy. I tried individual counseling, both through an EAP and a psychiatrist. I tried a life coach. I tried church, and I couldn't find meaning. I didn't have the personal leadership skills to make a decision or to understand what I actually needed. And so I worked there for another year and a half before I left. I started a company It failed, and then I found a job as a reliability consultant in Edmonton. Working as a reliability consultant, I got to see maintenance and reliability programs across North America. Everything from mining, manufacturing, oil and gas, chemical plants, power plants, shipping vessels, pulp mills. I saw everything. And I kept going to sites and I kept seeing great people, 
people with knowledge who were in the same place I was when I worked in mining. They had this knowledge. They had these skills. And yet, nobody was listening to them. Nobody was buying into their program. Nobody was supporting the initiatives that they all wanted, that everybody wanted. And I kept saying the same things. This lack of psychological safety. They had to hire an external consultant to come to site. And the shop floor guys, the operators, they would all tell me what was wrong so I could tell it to the managers. They knew everything that was wrong, but they didn't have the safety. They didn't have a culture where speaking up was allowed. They were managed by fear. They were managed by fixed mindsets. And they got the results. Those companies got the results that those cultures give you. They got bad results. In 2018, I started Rob's Reliability Project podcast, this show. And it's grown into one of the world-leading maintenance and reliability shows. When I started this show, I wanted to learn. I wanted to learn from world-class experts, the people that I've had on this podcast. I kept traveling to sites and I kept working in companies and I'd never understood why we weren't getting the results we wanted. And I thought that these world-class experts might have an answer for us. Maybe we're not doing RCM right. Maybe we're not doing root cause analysis right. Maybe our predictive maintenance program, we're not doing something right. And we've had them on and we've asked those questions. And yet our facilities never change. And I never really put the pieces together. But when I started Rob's Reliability Project, I put myself out in front of you and I started to get the questions that truly mattered the questions that nobody seemed to have a good answer for how do I get buy-in how do I change culture how do I implement reliability how do I sustain change how do I get the results that I want and I kept getting the same feedback. I'm frustrated at work. I'm disengaged at work. Management won't listen to me. And I can see it. One of my most recent memes, making fun of how management sees operations, maintenance, and reliability. It has over 2,000 likes. It has over 200 shares. And it has over 100,000 impressions. That meme took off. Not because we're all happy at work. Not because reliability is easily implementable. Not because we're having success. But because we're not.
And until recently, I never put the pieces together why. In October 2019, I had my first phone call with my leadership coach, Susan Hobson. And I asked her to help me start a company. At the time, I thought I wanted to start a reliability consulting company. At the time, I thought that my audience, you, were needing reliability help. But I was wrong. Over those 10 months of coaching with Susan, I've learned a lot about personal leadership. I've learned a lot about the 95 to 97% of decisions that we make every day that come from our belief systems, that come from our emotions, that come from the programming that have been installed in our minds by our parents, by our conditions, by our community, by our upbringing, by society. And I've learned how to rewrite those programs in order for those decisions that we make every day to support the outcome that we want, in order for those decisions that we make every day to support me being truly happy, me being engaged, me being fulfilled, and me helping you reach your full potential. me being a leader for you. And as I've talked about on this show, I didn't believe I was a leader until early 2020. I didn't believe that I was a leader even though I had a world-leading maintenance and reliability podcast, even though I had been a coach, I'd been a co-captain, of my sports teams for my whole life. And since I realized I was a leader and since I started believing that I, I was a leader, things have changed. I've changed for you. What I talk about on the show has changed. How I show up for you has changed. The engagement, the passion, the energy, the fire, the vulnerability, the courage. I've changed. And I've changed for you. And so why now? One is that I've had a realization that what's holding us back as a reliability community, as, a, as an industrial community, is bad leadership. I've realized this, and I can honestly say to you that bad leadership almost cost me my life. It almost cost me my life, both literally from depression and suicide, but also Figuratively. Until recently, I had spent the last eight years floating through life, 
I never thought I would have found meaning. I never thought I would have found a purpose. I gave up. I gave up looking. And working with Susan has helped me realize that I just didn't put the pieces together. And why now is that those pieces have come together for me. Those pieces have come together and I've realized that the reason I suffered, the reason I was put on this planet was to help you. I am here to help you realize your fullest potential. I am real here to impact the maintenance and reliability community. I am here to change the way maintenance and reliability is done forever. And what's the other reason for why now? Well, we've seen it. We've seen it in 2020. 2020, we've had a global pandemic. We've had stock market volatility. We've had oil price volatility. We've had lockdowns. The way we work has changed forever. And what I've seen and what I've heard back from the community is all these same things. Managers are managing by fear. Managers are cutting budgets, cutting salaries, cutting hours, keeping people at arm's length. And people are suffering. You're suffering. And it's 2020. We can't put up with that anymore. I cannot put up with it anymore. I'm tired of going into facilities across North America and hearing from you all around the world that you're frustrated. I'm tired of hearing that you're disengaged. I'm tired of hearing that you have a great idea, but nobody will listen. I'm tired that you see all these value in your company, and yet you can't lead anyone to get it. You can't help anyone get it. I'm tired of it. And I'm tired of these ineffective management and leadership training courses. I'm tired of managers who don't know how to have a connection, how to make a, have a conversation, how to talk about what truly matters, how to develop trust in our people. I'm tired of managing with fear, with the stick and the carrot. It's 2020. Let's wake up. And so that brings me to this. It brings me to the Leadership Launchpad Project. I've partnered with Susan Hobson and we're launching the Leadership Launchpad Project in order to teach you personal leadership, leadership of people, and to teach you about yourself in order for you to reach your highest potential. This training course will change your life. 
it will change the people around you. It will change you. It will change your business. It will take you to the next level. The reason I can sit here and say this so confidently to you is because it's changed my life. It's changed my relationships. We're going to cover the 95 to 97% of decisions that you make that you don't even realize. We're going to cover how to align your belief systems, how to align your emotions towards what you truly want in life. We're going to cover leadership skills, teaching, coaching, influencing, growth mindset strategies, communication, how to build connection. We're going to cover how leadership should be done and will be done in 2021 and beyond. We're going to cover getting buy-in, getting engagement with your people, your managers. This isn't your mom and dad's leadership course. This isn't Management 101. This isn't performance bonuses and metrics. This is Leadership 2.0. This is people-centric, heartfelt leadership. This is leadership that works in 2021 and beyond. This is leadership that works in companies that are actually successful and will take their game to the next level. And not only will it take your business to the next level, it's going to take you to the next level. 12 months ago, if I was on the mic talking to you today, 12 months ago, I didn't have the passion. I didn't have the energy. I didn't have the fire. I didn't have the engagement. I didn't even realize that life could have a purpose. Life could have meaning. Today, I realize that. Today, I realize my purpose is here to bring you the skills, the leadership skills, the personal skills, so you can reach your highest potential. So you can be happy, so you can be engaged, so you can be fulfilled like I am. That's my purpose. So join Susan and me on our mission to change maintenance and reliability forever. Join me to change leadership in maintenance and reliability forever because it's going to change your life. So how do you learn more about this program? Go to robsreliability.com leadership and learn more about the program and sign up. I truly hope that you who's listening to this, that you sign up because it's going to put you on a path that you may not even think is possible. Because I know a year ago, I didn't think this was possible. I really hope that you find the leader inside you and you go to robsreliability.com slash leadership. You sign up and you 
join me on my mission to change maintenance and reliability forever. I'm giving you $500 off our regular price for this 12-week leadership launchpad program because I want you to reach your highest potential. So sign up before September 1st to get that discount. I look forward to working with you. I look forward to helping you reach your highest potential. So go to robsreliability.com slash leadership and sign up. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time on Rob's Reliability Project.